you're listening to the Locked In Podcast. Here's your host, Algernon Cash. morning you are locked in then i'm your host algernon cash welcome back welcome back welcome back this morning i've got a really exciting show lined up for you national political analyst op-ed writer and presidential campaign advisor to newt gingrich mitt romney and ben carson i've got sure michael singleton here this morning with me to discuss what it means to be a black conservative in today's political climate Mike, how are you doing today, man? I am doing well, man, and it's an honor to be on with you. Well, it's an honor to have you. I've um, been certainly one of your your biggest fans and have sort of watched you over the last four years um, sort of rise here in our in our nation. And um, I, I enjoy your commentary. You're always very thoughtful and pragmatic and seem to display a lot of common sense. So um, it, it's an honor to have you here on the show this morning. Hey, you know, common sense isn't all too common these days. <laughs> it, it, you know what, sir? It, it is not. I, I often get asked, um, you know, Algernon, why don't you run for public office? And um, I tell people, I, I think I might just have too much common sense. I, I'd probably get ran out of Washington, D.C. if I tried to do something like that. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. Nothing in Washington <laughs> works off of common sense. I've been around long enough to know that. <laughs> So, man, I, I know I've only got a brief amount of time with you this morning, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to try to go ahead and jump into it. Um, you know, you're you're someone again. I followed you for a while. You're a young brother, um, black conservative, and um, I, I just want to start the the conversation off. You know, if you help my listeners understand, when did you realize in your life that your values aligned with conservatism? You know, Algernon, Algernon, that's a great question. And I was a kid living in a suburb by the name of DeSoto, Texas, outside of Dallas. I was about 12 years old. I had a teacher by the name of Mrs. Tammy Hicks. I'll never forget her. We had to work on a project, and the project was to choose a president to do a little one-pager on and present to the class, and it had to be fun and interactive. And I chose Abraham Lincoln because I always liked the pictures of him with the large top hats on. <laughs> but, you know, 12-year-old kid, what do you know? And so I chose Lincoln. She had books of every single president, gave me a book, and I brought the book home. And my parents helped me read through the book and helped me work on the, pro- work on the project. And at the end of it, I sort of started to think like, oh, well, this is interesting, the Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, some of the sort of values that talked about Lincoln being the founding father of the Republican Party and sort of what that whole idea sort of meant and why uh, their values were so different and, and why a certain set of values were important to them. And so I remember asking my mom, I said, hey, do we vote Republican? <laughs> she said, oh, God, no. <laughs> and I remember asking why. And she gave me her, her reason. And she said, well, you know, your, your grandma and your grandpa used to vote Republican and their parents definitely used to vote Republican. Uh, and I yeah, asked my grandparents about it and said, oh, yeah, we definitely used to and voted for uh, Reagan and voted for, for George W. Bush. But, you know, there are some Republicans that are decent, but most of them are horrible. And so that's sort of the mindset that I sort of maintained. And, and once I got to college, and I studied political theory at Morehouse, and I sort of began the sort of intellectual uh, trajectory, if you will, of really understanding my own identity. That's when I, I really began to become engulfed in 
what does it philosophically mean to be a conservative and how the values that my parents instilled in me were more in line with uh, conservatism that was written down by Edmund Burke and uh, written down by individuals like Immanuel Kant, who, who was far beyond uh, Burke. And many individuals uh, would not consider him conservative in the normative sense, but many intellectual scholars would consider him to be, his writings to be conservative. When you think about uh, the body of a philosophy and, and, and theoretical approaches, generally speaking. And so as I sort of began to understand the writings of all of these great men, the epistemological approach, the ontological approaches, of ideologies, broadly speaking, liberalism versus conservatism, it was very, very clear to me that as an African-American, uh, the values of faith, the values of community, values of hard work, the values of understanding that there are things passed down from generation to generation that are of value that I must maintain, that I must protect because those things have sort of come to define uh, certain aspects of who I was and, and who I would, could potentially become. And, and, and so to have values in all of those different disparate things was very clearly more aligned with what it meant to be a conservative versus what it meant to be a, a liberal. Uh, there's, a, there's a famous uh, quote um, by one of my, my favorite uh, political philosophers, and I probably have read, I think, almost everything uh, Michael Oakeshott has written. And then on how to be a conservative, Michael Oakeshott talks about uh, conservatism uh, versus liberalism. And he sort of writes that a conservative understands that utopian bliss is not possible. And by that, that is the understanding that life is going to be hard. And with life comes struggle. Uh, and those things, my parents instilled in me and that there is no such thing as perfection. You cannot create a perfect anything. Yeah. Yet when you look at liberalism, philosophically speaking, uh, there are some underpinnings of it that do believe, and you can even find this in some of Locke's classical liberalist writings, that you can sort of perfect this ideal culture, this ideal body politic. And that is yeah. just not, the conservative would argue that's not possible. So, so I say all that to say, when I think about the values my parents instilled in me, they clearly were far more aligned with conservatism than liberalism. I want to jump and in I hate there. to get into all the philosophical stuff, so getting too into the weeds. No, 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 it's fine. I just wanted to jump in on the, the point that you mentioned about your family. Um, you know, I, I had a similar experience growing up when I was in the fifth grade where they asked us to go home and um, vote. That, that's, that was the year that George Herbert Walker Bush was running against um, Michael Dukakis, and they, they asked us to go home and ask our mm -hmm. parents, you know, work with our parents to figure out who we would vote for. And I had a similar response from my mom that, you know, you know, we're, we're black, so we always vote Democrat, which was what led me down was was the beginning of me getting on a, a path of conservatism. And I, it took me many, many years to learn more about it. But, you know, not to get in the weeds on it, I want to go back to the, the family component that you mentioned, because it's been my experience, you know, with my friends and my friend's family and even my family to some degree. It always appeal, appears to me that that black families are far more conservative than than liberal, but oftentimes they may not may not realize it. Has that all also been a similar experience for you? Or well, no, it certainly has. And I think even when you look at the the, the data and the studies on this, the, the overwhelming majority of African Americans uh, consider themselves to either be moderate or conservative. With only, I believe, according to a recent Pew Research study, only about 28, 29 percent consider themselves to be liberal. 
And when you rate progressivism, that doesn't even rate rank at all uh, among African-Americans. And so I, I think there's an interesting dichotomy that people often um, obfuscate from, if you will, when discussing politics and theory and ideology. Yeah, I totally agree. Now, I also heard you say that you went to Morehouse. So and that I, is to I, say that, well, you can be a conservative, therefore be a Democrat. And I think in the case of many African knowledge that there are conservative values that they maintain, yet they don't vote for the party that is supposed to espouse those conservative values. I wanted to circle back also, you, you I didn't know you went to an HBCU. What, yeah, what I went was, to Morehouse. Yeah, what, what was that experience like being a, a young black conservative in an HBCU, which typically, stereotypically, you would think would be dominated by, by you know, liberal ideology? Oh, it was a wonderful experience. And I, I love Morehouse. I love my Morehouse brothers. It, it was an amazing place for me. And I have professors like Dr. Tove Johnson, uh, one of the, the first African-American to get a PhD from Columbia University in political science. Dr. Johnson actually finished Morehouse only a couple years after Dr. King. Um, I had professors like, who is still a great mentor uh, of mine, Dr. Johnson and Dr. Davis, and particularly Dr. Davis, who I remember when I first took one of my first theoretical courses, uh, and he knew that I was conservative. I started the first college Republican chapter on campus, and he said, you know, if this is what you're going to believe, that's your prerogative, but I need to make sure you understand it better than anybody. And I said, well, Doc, what do you mean? He said, I don't want you to just merely be able to say that you're a Republican. You need to be able to argue and defend why you're a conservative. What does that mean? What does it look like? Which means you need to understand every single great theorist, every single great philosopher, and not, and not only understanding them, but how do you translate the theory into the applied, which is something that a lot of people aren't able to do. It's either they're good at one or the other, but the two go hand in hand. And so I was fortunate enough to have people who believed in me and wanted to make sure that if I was going to prescribe to a certain set of beliefs, that I was able to not only articulate those beliefs, but if I was going to work in politics, I could actualize them for the benefit of people. You know, you also brought up politics. You've got a really incredible resume. I mean, you, you've worked on a number of presidential campaigns um, from Gingrich to Romney to, to Carson. Uh, I know you also, uh, you, you made national news back in 2016 when Ben Carson was appointed uh, HUD secretary. I believe they brought mm -hmm. you on as an administrator, one of the administrators within HUD. And, yeah, the deputy um, chief of staff. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you you were you you know appointed to a high level position within HUD. Shortly thereafter, it it, it came into the discovery that you had made some negative comments about President Trump during the campaign. Not not once you had received the appointment. And you were unceremoniously um, dismissed from that position. Did that alter your view of the party at all, or? You know, it didn't alter my view of the party at all, and, and it didn't really alter my view of Mr. Trump because it was. I'm going to be honest. I don't know what your audience is, but I like to be a candid guy, and people may disagree, and that's their right to disagree with what I'm going to say. I respect that. This is America, uh, but I say this out of respect, out of respect for the office that is, but. You know, the views that I had espoused about Mr. Trump doing, during his candidacy were views that I personally had believed were going to be detrimental for the Republican Party, particularly as it pertained to minorities. My entire time as a young conservative, I spent all of my time trying to broaden the appeal of the party. And I knew all the reasons why the party had suffered so much in that particular place. The history is there up until current date. And so my biggest concern was that to go with someone as controversial, I personally believe, would make the job of individuals like myself and others even harder. 
and you look at the data and, and that still re- re- persists and remains to be the case. Another part of one of my concerns was that you would have a whole new generation of voters coming to age under Mr. Trump. And I thought that, well, you know, maybe he's just saying this stuff because he's running for office. Maybe the guy will change his politics. I get it. It is what it is. Uh, to use one of the president's phrases, ubiquitously, of course. But then I, I sort of thought, well, maybe he'll get in there. Things will change. You know, he's an entertainer. He's a business guy, strategic thinker. So maybe he's sort of behaving in a certain way to just get to where he wants to go. And I, I understand it. I may not like it, but I understand it. He's getting to the end result that's beneficial to him, which is what most politicians do. So once I got in, I said, okay, I'm in this position. Don't I'm certainly not going to agree with many of the president's characteristics, but I have a job to do. And I'm going to do my job and I'm going to do it well. And once that happened, it didn't again change my perception of the party, but it certainly sort of reinforced the concerns that I automatically had initially about the president. And that was that president is someone who takes things very personally and isn't able to say, you know what, when we're in a campaign, people are going to say things about me that I don't like. And that's just a part of campaigning, just as he said many negative things about people he was running against. But when we win, we all come together as a party and we say, all right, we got to govern. We got to govern a country of 300 million people with the best and brightest minds. Let's do that and let's do it well. And that incident for me showcased that he wasn't willing to do that, at least not with everyone. And God, there are some people who still work for him who said some hor- far worse things than what I said. I merely said, I just didn't think the guy was the best one that we used to choose. And I said, I think the party had a moral obligation to choose someone else. I, my attacks weren't even personal <laughs> character attacks or against his family because that's just not something I, I think is morally or ethically proper, not even in politics. Uh, so so it, it sort of re- you know sort of reinforced to get my views about him but, I, you know, I don't take it personally. I, I just think it, it's a part of the process. And even after that incident happened and I did an interview on CNN and they said, well, are you upset with the president? I said, no. I said, look, the president has the power to hire and dismiss us at will. And I may not like it. I certainly don't. Others may not like it. But it is a part of the process. And as someone who loves the body politic as a whole, you respect all the things that come along with that, good and bad. That's why this process we call democracy or, or democratic republic, rather, works so well, because we're willing to accept things that may be in our benefit, or that may not be in our benefit, but it continues to move the process forward. And the moment people begin to object over everything, we have a huge problem, which is what we see today. A lot of people oftentimes see um, conservative politics as being um, almost synonymous with the Republican Party. But you know, sure, Michael, I like to remind folks that, you know, conservatism is, is it's not a party per se, it's, it's more of a, an ideology. It is, it is. And, and do, do you believe that um, even with Trump's political rhetoric, you know, on, on race and, you know, I believe deep down that obviously a lot of his rhetoric is pushing a lot of black voters away, you know, not only from the Republican Party, but maybe to some degree away from the conservative ideology. You know, how do we make that case to our black American friends and family that this is an ideology they they should follow when they hear some of the rhetoric that's coming out of the White House day to day? That's where it becomes difficult, because it's almost as if if you're a conservative, you must be a Republican. And I, I try so hard to tell people that that is not the case. 
uh, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, those are merely political parties with they're sort of they're an apparatus by which you get things done to accomplish certain things. That apparatus does not define what the ideology is. To be a conservative is a value system. It is a belief system, just as it is to be a liberal. Right, an ideology by definition is essentially one's value and belief systems. And I would argue for most African Americans who would say, you know what, this is a failed belief system. Look at Mr. Trump. We should all become progressives or we should all become liberals. I would say absolutely not. I would say look at the totality of our experiences as a people in this country. And you look at what it took for us to thrive and go through many of the things we've gone through. And it was because we maintained conservative values about faith, about family. It's because we maintain a conservative outlook on what was possible versus what's not possible. We were realistic. Uh, we understood that nothing happens overnight. We understood that it's easier to destroy than it is to build. We certainly understood that more, I, I would argue, than most people in, in the United States. And so you don't discard those things that allowed your people to survive in insurmountable odds. You'd be foolish to do so. Uh, and, and so that would, would be sort of my counter argument to those who would say conservatism as an ideology is failed. I would say, no, 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 no. A political party has not done all that it needs to do, in my view. Neither party is perfect, but I'm a conservative, so I want my party to do the best. We have failed. And that's okay to acknowledge that because to acknowledge failure means that you're willing to improve. And so it's okay to say that the party hasn't done what it, what it needs to do, that the party has made mistakes. But that does not mean that conservatism as a fundamental belief system, as a practice, has failed. Because I would argue if you were to compare liberalism to conservatism, broadly speaking, to every great civilization known to man, all the way going back to the Greeks, to the Romans, the Byzantines, the Ottomans, I would argue that the values that each of those great societies maintained were of a conservative outlook and disposition. I would agree with a lot of what you just said. And um, I'm always trying to help folks understand that uh, you don't necessarily have to be Republican to be conservative. There are a lot of conservative Democrats, a lot of conservative independents. And, um, you, you know, I do think that we, we ought to work more cohesively to, to try to unite conservatism, whether you're in a Democratic Party, Republican Party, what, what have you. And, you know, something, a project that I've been working on that, um, you know, my, my listeners will hear more about as we continue to, to, to develop it. We've we've built what we call the Black Conservative Alliance, which is going to be a platform to just educate and, and engage uh, black voters, not necessarily black Republicans, but black Democrats, black independents, black folks in general that want to learn more about conservative public policy. Because I, I do believe that we, we have a wide range of liberal public policy that has placed the government in a position where they can overreach and um, do unintended harm and consequences to a lot of black and brown communities. And conservative public policy is a pathway for us to be able to go back and correct a lot of what, what has happened. I mean, you think about the 1994 crime bill, you think about the Great Society and all the social programs and the housing policies that came out of the 60s and the 70s that were rooted in liberalism, really, in my opinion, had, has had a, a disastrous effect on a lot of black and brown neighborhoods. So I, I do agree that there has to be a bit of a separation between the ideolo ideology and the political party itself. If you like what you hear today, please tell a friend, 
Um, you can always go online. You can go find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I'm all, all the way out there. And um, I, I tend to share a lot of thoughts and commentary throughout the week. So um, if you like what you're listening to, please go follow me online. I'm proud to have a, a new friend, uh, Sher Michael Singleton, who is a national political analyst, op-ed writer, and has also worked on presidential campaigns for Newt Gingrich, Mitt Romney, Ben Carson, and served as deputy chief of staff for Secretary Carson um, here in, in the, the HUD administration. So, you know, Sir Michael, I've only got like a few more minutes left with you. I want to jump back in, into politics a little bit. I saw a poll recently that 83% of black voters believe that Donald Trump is a racist. You've been a lot closer to him, a lot closer to the administration than we have. Let me put the question to you plainly. Is President Donald Trump a racist? Oh, God, Elgin. You know, man, the, t- the times I've gotten that question on TV even, I don't know what the president is. I'm I'm not going to sit here and pretend to know. I don't know what in, what is in his heart. I do know that he has African Americans working for him. Um I know he has African Americans who are his friends. Um this is the way I look at it. I think the president's 74-year-old guy who grew up in a different time of America. And I think some of his views on things may be a little outdated as we can expect with a lot of old people. Um but as it pertains to him hating people because of the color of their skin, I don't know if that's necessarily who Mr. Trump is. And, and, and again, we can say he's used certain language that is certainly controversial, that's certainly problematic to some of the issues that we as a country face. But I think when you use that race card, man, we need to be 150% certain when we use it, we're using it with certainty when it's directed towards an individual. And so, again, I'll say this. I don't know what's in the man's heart, um, but I would just find it hard to believe that he looks at black people and say, I hate those people merely because they are black. Uh, and, and I think we just have to be very clear on that when we say someone's racist. Now, People will say, well, what about the language here? What about when he, you know, the housing issue back in the 70s? Again, 74-year-old guy who grew up in a very different time in America. And I grew up in the South. And I know a lot of older white people around the president's age. And some of the views they have are certainly outdated. Again, I wouldn't say that they're necessarily racist. I wouldn't say that they look at someone's skin and say, I am more superior or that those are or less than subhuman individuals, uh, which are all terms or adjectives we could use to describe a racist person. I don't believe the president maintains those views, but I certainly think he maintains views that are of a bygone halcyon days. Uh, and, and so that would be my, my, my response to that question. And to, to sort of follow up on that, it help, help us understand, why do you think that, and again, I, I, when I say why do you think, I know you're not inside the president's head. I think we just, you know, I just want your, your analysis and your view, but why, why do you think it's so difficult for the president to just full-throated, outright deny or, or denounce white supremacists? You know, honestly, I think, Elginon, it's because of the politics. I'm going to be brutally honest with you. I think the president recognizes that he has about a 35% of the American public, maybe 40 if you want to be generous, that are with him. And he understands that in order to win, he can't lose a single one of those people. And I think Donald Trump is smart enough to recognize by directly calling out people who may belong to some of those friends groups, in many ways, maybe a call out to some of the very people who voted for him. 
And I think he merely looks at the landscape, looks at the map and says, you know what, if I got to condemn him, I'm going to sort of dance around it. And I think that's what he does. I think he sort of dances around it because I think he, you know, it's so funny. He, he's become everything he said he hated about politics. And that is he's become a creature of politics. He's become a creature of the very swamp that he promised to clean by virtue of the way he dances around these very delicate issues. And so, again, I think he doesn't do it because he looks at it from a political lens and he looks at it as I don't want to isolate people who likely voted for me. That's truly what I believe. I would agree with your thoughts on both those questions, actually. I, I do think that it, it, it's not so much that he's a racist, but, but you know, it, it's political strategy. And, you know, the, the horrible business... strategy, I got to add. Strategy yeah, it, it is. It I is. don't want to see utilized. I want to make that clear. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's horrible strategy. strategy. worked for him. It, it is horrible. And I, I but I agree with the point that you brought in where, to some degree, President Trump has become what he ran against in 2016. I think that's an, an interesting insight that you just provided that I, that I hope my my listeners really picked up on. I've, I've probably got time for one more question, man, and I got to let you go. You know, it seems like the biggest issue amongst Black America right now is, is police brutality, criminal justice reform. And, you, you know, right now, I mean, as a party, you know, I don't think Republicans are on message there. You know, I do think Senator Rand Paul has has put forward some good mm -hmm. ideas related to criminal justice reform um, that, that, you know, hasn't necessarily been taken up in the Senate, but he, he's, he's been very full-throated about it. What, is, what does the party have to do to, to, to once again help black voters understand that we, we are we, we are compassionate when, when it comes to police brutality? I mean, Algernon, we, we merely need to showcase that we understand what's going on and, and do what Senator Tim Scott's, what Senator um, Rand Paul are doing by providing substantive solutions to the issues that exist for black people. Um, Jack Kemp said it doesn't matter how great your ideas are if people don't feel you care about them first. And we know that Republicans can do this. You look at our history, you can go back to, to FDR when the black vote was relatively split. Uh, Republicans still received a significant percent of the African-American vote. I mean, you, we only need to go out in our 50 years in our history to see what the Republican Party was doing. And I actually did my research on this. When you go back and you look at the polling and you look at African-American uh, uh, moods, if you will, about the Republican Party 60, 70 years ago. And they believed that the Republican Party cared about Black people and the issues of Black people. And it wasn't until Barry Goldwater, more of a libertarian mind view, and his positions on civil rights, that uh, that was sort of the nail in the coffin, if you will, of Black people saying that the Republican Party no longer cares about civil rights. The Republican Party no longer cares about the advancement of Black people. Therefore, we are going to completely abandon the party. And so my thing is the Republican Party, Elginon, just needs to look back in its 100-year history. What were you doing then that worked? And readapt those things for the 21st century, man. This isn't rocket science. Elginon, we did it. And we were incredibly successful. And so, I, I, again, I just think we need to look at some of those Jack Kemp. We need to look at uh, Mitt Romney's father, George Romney, who was very well-liked by the African-American community. We need to look at... Um, uh, 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 Congressman, uh, Senator Tim Scott, rather. When you look at Senator Rand Paul and, and those other solution-oriented senators who say, look, we understand the grievance, we hear the cries, and we are going to put forth some policies to actually show you that we understand it. That's how you get people, that's how you reel people in to show that you not only understand, that you not only care, 
but that you're going to offer solutions to solve their problems. And if we get back to that, Algernon, man, I really think you could change some things within the Republican Party. But we got to get back to that, man. Sure, Michael. I totally agree, man. I'm, I'm out of time. I, I am so honored and thankful that you um, agreed to do this. I, I feel like I've learned a lot talking with you the last 20, 30 minutes. I'm sure my listeners are getting a lot of value out of it as well. Um, so again, if, you, if you're wondering who, you, who you're listening to, that's sure Michael Singleton, national political analyst and op-ed writer. And I would encourage you, I've read several of um, Sure Michael's pieces in The Hill. Go check him out there. He's extremely active on Twitter. I would I would strongly suggest you go follow him and keep up with him. Um, go like his Facebook page and and just sort of get into his his circle. And I promise you'll you'll learn a lot more about not only the party but but certainly a lot more about conservative ideology. You're locked in. I'm your host Algernon Cash. Thank y'all for joining me. Please again, if you like what you heard today, um, go follow me online. Um, tell a friend and uh, make sure you do join us here again. Y'all stay locked in. The executive producer of the Locked In Podcast is Algernon Cash for WCG. The associate producer is Tim Beeman for Such and Such Media. The views and opinions in this podcast are solely those of the contributors and are not necessarily those of our distributors or hosting company. This podcast is copyrighted and cannot be reproduced without express written consent of WGC.